Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So we're in the season of ordinary time after Epiphany. And Epiphany works from the conviction that something marvelous about God has been made known to us in Jesus Christ. Something new has happened. Something that changes everything has occurred. For thousands of years, we knew much about God, but now with Jesus, so much more has been revealed. We don't know everything from God. We could never say something so foolish as that, but we do know something substantial, something solid. We do know some things about God, a lot actually. Mystery is a marvelous word if it keeps us humble, if it chastens our hubris and reminds us that we are finite, that we have limitations, that our certainties are often not nearly so certain as we think they are. However, mystery is an awful word if it's used as a flattening general cliche, if it's used as a cynical power ploy to make everything mushy, to untether me from any particular convictions, to absolve me from responsibility to particular people, particular places, to the God revealed in Jesus Christ. The idea of love and all that it encompasses is mostly a mystery to me, but I love Miska. I know that I love her. Epiphany is the announcement that God has been revealed to us in Jesus. So when we want to know what God is like, we begin by looking at Jesus. We listen to Jesus' words. We receive Jesus' love. We pay attention to Jesus' anger. We listen and watch and receive and hopefully obey Jesus. We know things about God because of Jesus. In today's epistle reading, we discover how Paul knows that Jesus has moved in a new kind of way into the very center of the human story. In these short nine verses, he refers to Jesus 10 times. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, to those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God given in Christ Jesus. You're strengthened in Christ Jesus. It's over and over and over again. And Paul knows that his friends in Corinth have had their lives profoundly overwhelmed by the mercy, the love, the authority, the power that Jesus brings into the world. How that these Corinthians have encountered a new kind of humanity, a new vision of life, a new way of being in the world, a new way of understanding the world. In every way, Paul says, you have been enriched in Jesus. That word enriched literally means to be made wealthy. In every way, you have been made wealthy in Jesus. 
enriched in every way, in every part of their life, in every way of being human. They are strengthened by Christ, Paul says, to give every spiritual gift that we need while we are waiting for the revealing of Jesus. This enriching, deepening, broadening work of Jesus is not about the spiritual life, at least not the kind that many of us might envision. If by spiritual, we mean a life that is not real, a life that isn't lived among tears and laughter and joy and disappointment, amid family and friendships and delight, amid politics and learning, amid craft and work, amid raising children, amid loving and being loved. If I could have a pastoral genie bottle, and I've never seen one of these things, but if I could have one, and if I got three wishes, and after using my first wish to do what we all know you do with your first wish with a genie, right, which is to ask for an unlimited supply of wishes. I mean, whenever you're watching the movie Aladdin, are you not just screaming at him saying, just ask for more wishes? But after asking for more wishes, I would ask if we could possibly reimagine what we mean by using the word spiritual. Paul says that because of Jesus' actions, those who live in the kingdom of God do not lack any spiritual gift. And these spiritual gifts are nothing less than the life, presence, energy of Jesus Christ filling and empowering the life that we live here and now. We are enriched in every way by Jesus now. We are strengthened by Jesus here and now. Our life is infused with mercy and hope and power of the risen Jesus now. In this work, in this moment, in this place, in these days, doing what is before us now to do. To be spiritual in biblical terms is far from being disen disengaged from the grit and the wonder and the sensuality of our life in the earth. To be spiritual means that we are increasingly awakened to God, pulsing through the very heart of our life. That we are more and more caught up in the spell of God's grace, illuminating, illuminating everything and drawing us more fully into our skin, more fully into a life of raspberries and fateful dogs and crazy road trips with your sons like we did last weekend. To be spiritual is to refuse to dishonor God by assuming that he's somehow estranged from rather than the energy for our most beautiful, human, present, immediate life. It is eternity coming into the now. It is heaven breaking in to here. Paul tells us in Colossians that God is present in the world, literally holding the whole world together. The image is that the world itself would fly apart if the love and mercy and strength and presence of God in the spirit of God was not holding it together. And here Paul tells us that God is present 
in the grit and the grind of our actual lives. This is what it means to be spiritual. It's not becoming more abstracted and disengaged from our lives, but it's rather digging into our lives more fully, becoming more present, more engaged, more hopeful, not because of some powerful uh, little mantra we're telling ourselves and some technique, because we have encountered the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. We have had an epiphany of God in the world. And when God is in the world, everything changes. The spiritual life is enjoying God in scripture and worship and Eucharist. Absolutely. These are immense, powerful, necessary, potent gifts. But it's also enjoying God in an evening playing Farkle with your family. Have you ever played Farkle? If you like games, you should play Farkle. It's fun. It's in the pleasure of a plate of pork tenderloin and polenta. It's in watching your dog go bonkers after chasing the deer across your backyard, really hoping that your dog will catch one of them. It's seeing our entire life as the arena where God's work in us and around us is present and happening and unfolding. It's recognizing that Jesus is present now, placing gifts into my life by the power of the Holy Spirit that enable me to paint a canvas or work a garden or analyze a socioeconomic theory or raise children or teach students or lay electrical wire in someone's home. The spiritual life is our life, this life, awakened and made more whole and more human by the enlivening presence of Jesus. So Paul says, enriched in every way, in speech and knowledge of every kind. And I really puzzled over this week over why he would particularly talk about speech and knowledge. Well, as you, as you read through Corinthians, you find that the knowledge the Corinthians possessed and the wisdom that they spoke were the very things that these Christians in Corinth were arguing over. It's the things that they were at war with one another about. Who had the real knowledge? Who was able to speak the real truth? Who had the most potent word from God? And Paul is saying, hey, these things that are consuming you, look for God there. Paul doesn't tell them they're misguided in putting energy into these things, into good speech and good knowledge, but he's rather telling them they're misguided in somehow thinking that these things are separate from life with God. These issues were about envy, about trying to find their own place in the world and forgetting that this was God's world. That's what we're left with whenever our life ceases to be spiritual. Whenever we stop understanding our actual life as the place where God shows up, we're left to claw and scratch and fight because we fear there won't be enough for us. We fear there's something else we must do. In this word to us, Paul says that Jesus is present doing all of this in us and around us. And he says, as we wait for the revealing of Jesus Christ. So isn't this really interesting? 
Essentially what Paul is saying is, you see Jesus revealed everywhere as we're waiting for the revealing. So we encounter Jesus in our life while we wait for Jesus to be revealed. The word revealed means something being unveiled. It's like there's a presence there, but you don't see it very clearly, and then the veil is lifted. It's like driving through the fog, and then all of a sudden the fog lifts, and you see the beautiful horizon in front of you. It's not that it wasn't there. It's that you just didn't see it clearly. This unveiling or revealing that, that Paul is referring to is what we pray for every week, for the coming of Jesus for this moment when finally new creation and restoration, when finally wrongs will be righted, when finally the world will be set right because Jesus comes fully. But sometimes I think we have this picture that's like, you know, Jesus going Star Trek and beaming in from some far away galaxy and sort of interrupting. But it seems that the biblical picture is a little bit different. It's the Jesus is coming or appearing is that the Jesus who is here and present is all of a sudden seen more clearly, seen in God's fullness. It's like the reason why Paul could say that right now we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. It's because Jesus is here now in the power of the Spirit appearing, but we really are desperate for him to appear even more clearly. This week when I was uh, thinking through this, this scripture passage, a story that a friend told me kept coming to mind. And uh, this friend of mine has a friend who works with Compassion International. And his job is to work with artists um, as they go on tour and promote Compassion International and try to raise sponsors for children and raise funds for their organization. And uh, one of his friends was touring with Bono in Scotland. Uh, and they were doing a Compassion International thing with, with you two. And so this guy was driving with him from one location to the next. And this Compassion International just happened to be a, a real aficionado of scotch. He really knew and loved scotch. And there was a particular kind of scotch that apparently the distillery had burned down. And after the distillery had burned down, there were a limited number of barrels of this apparently amazing scotch and one pub got all of these barrels. So they owned everything of this, uh, of this uh, a distillery that no longer existed anymore. And this guy realized that they were going to be going within a few miles of this pub. So he asked Bono, he said, I don't want to pose on you, but if you don't mind, could we like, do a little detour, and I could run to this pub and get a, a glass of this, of this scotch? And Bono said, that's fine, no problem. I'm not interested in going inside. Uh, so I'm just going to stay in the car. You do your thing. So they did. He pulled over. He walked in. He had a glass of the scotch, and apparently it was amazing. And he started asking this guy to please sell him a bottle of this scotch. And the guy was like, we don't do that. Like, this is a limited number. We only have so many barrels left. People come from all over the world to drink this stuff. We don't sell it by the bottle. You can only get it by the glass. And he begged, and he sort of pleaded. And the guy's like, no, we don't, we don't, I don't sell it that way. And the guy said come on, you, there has to be some price. And the guy says, I'm telling you, if Bono walked in this door himself and asked for a bottle of this, I wouldn't sell it to him. And the guy goes, just a minute. <laughs> and he rushes out to the car and he tells Bono the story. 
And Bono, I guess being the kind soul that he is, like, that's kind of funny. So he, he goes back in, and he walks in with this guy, and the guy at the bar just looks up, looks at this guy, looks back over at Bono, looks back over at this guy, looks back over at Bono, reaches underneath, grabs a bottle, and hands it to him. <laughs> now, I have to be honest, I had to wrestle a little bit, because we preachers are... Um, notorious for these kind of foibles. I had, to, I had to really wrestle with whether that was actually a good illustration for the scriptural text or whether I just, <laughs> just really wanted to tell that story. Um, but the reason why it, it, kept, it just kept coming to me, maybe it's just a weird connection, I just kept thinking about just his appearing in that, in that bar and like sort of the shock. But then I love the fact that he'd actually been right outside the door all along. And I don't really know that I, if I can, if I have the language, I want us to hear that the risen Christ is not far away. This Christ is here. And, and as Christians, we do live in this um, complex tension that we, on one hand, affirm with all of our heart and our hope that Jesus is not far and in just a moment, we're going to receive the Eucharist. We're going to receive this bread and this wine and this Christ's body and blood for us. And we're going to walk out into this day, and we're going to walk into a beautiful world, and we're going to be with people who are God's image bearers. And we're going to go to work this week, and God is going to require something of you this week as you go to your work. There's skills that you've been given. There's ways that you see, and you're responsible for that. And there are, there are, in all of these things, Jesus is being revealed because Jesus is present, and that is the spiritual life, is to see Jesus for the reality that Jesus is in all of this. But there is also this great tension of all the ways that we do not see Jesus revealed, all the places that we do not see Jesus present. And so the Christian hope is to both proclaim Jesus is near and to work and pray for the day when Jesus will be fully made plain, fully unveiled, where the fog lifts. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.